Locked on Red Wings, breaking down the rest of the draft and reacting to the Kyler Yamamoto trade. Your Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily J, a WWJ News Radio podcast. Well, Scotty's the host over at Locked On Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. A championship team is about play each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit, ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay guaranteed fit only available to us customers, eligible items only exclusions apply. Scotty Bentley rounds two through seven happened today at breakneck pace. And that's kind of kind of refreshing given how slow first, the first round tends to go out, uh, go over with all the theatrics, but Red Wings ended up making nine picks instead of eight picks in rounds two through seven, because they traded out of their third consecutive second round pick traded back to 47. And I believe got one forty-seven back. In return as well, a third round pick, regardless. It doesn't matter exactly when it was. So they made nine picks today. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, the listener that is, that I know anything about the second half of this draft. Uh, like a lot of these guys I'd never heard of. We'll give you a brief, brief, you know, synopsis of what their stat lines are and what positions they play. But, you know, we would be lying to you if we tried to pretend that we knew everything about guys taking like rounds three through seven. But we'll try and do our best. We also have the Big trade to talk about uh, that occurred in this during the second round of this draft. Scotty, do you just want to go in chronological order of each individual guy taken and kind of just uh, break it down for you? Sure. Yeah, I, I think we can just go. We can just start at uh, obviously we already did round one yesterday, but yeah, we can start at round two and just go through the end. And then honestly, we can if you want, we can just get all the names out there and then like pick apart like where we want to talk after that. However, you want to do it. Absolutely. So the Red Wings with their first pick in the second round, pick 41 overall, took Trey Augustine. He is a six foot one goaltender out of the US NTDP, committed to go play uh, at Michigan State University. I was actually kind of surprised that in the first pick of the second round, the Red Wings went with a goaltender, but he has had a lot of success with the US NTDP, which is not a surprise because they're like the cream of the crop when it comes to. American. So we'll see over the next year or two how his uh, collegiate career goes. And they're going to have a close, be able to watch him with a close eye as he's going to be down the road in East yeah, Lansing. Right but yeah, he had a 926 save percentage in 33 games with the U18 team um, and a 928 save percentage in 14 games played with the juniors overall. And I think that, I mean, it, it definitely caught me off guard, but the team definitely needs more goalies in the system outside of Sebastian Kosa. Because with Bratstrom leaving the system, they don't really have a whole lot of anything waiting in the wings, so to speak. So I, while I was shocked they took a goalie as high in the draft as they did, I don't think it was a bad idea because it is still a position of need. I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. And like I uh, have, have been, I think, is this the third draft I've been? host of this show for i think so and like every year i get way too excited about goalies i just love goalies and so like i i know that there's a lot of like um i don't want to say traditionalists but there's a lot of like old school or older school mentality of you know what the correct 
whoa, I just kicked the heck out of my camera. What the correct <laughs> value is for drafting a goalie and whatnot and, and where they usually fall and how good you have to be to like draft them and whatnot. And, you know, second round, I don't think is super bad value. And there wasn't like any, you know, like ridiculous high-end goalies that were going top 10, top 15. Was there even a goalie taken in the first round this nope, year? there was not. The, right. There was a so, run like, on goalies early in the second. Right, so there wasn't anything like super high-end in that regard. So I really don't mind this at all, especially, again, as we've mentioned a lot, just the uh, the amount of picks that the Wings had available to them, not only the entire draft, but in the top 45 or 50 specifically. You, you, you kind of had some wiggle room there where like if there was any team with the assets and the draft picks to – be able to comfortably take a goalie and not feel bad about it. It was your Detroit Red Wings, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, like fit wise, organization wise, that like I, I don't mind it at all either. Like we we talk so much about how you know that this team wants to find uh, another goalie to be next to like Huso in the short term. But if you're looking long term, like Costa is really the only person you're kind of chalking up as like, oh yeah, you know, in a few years, like he should probably be a prominent part of like the the goalie situation within the organization and that's it and, and like depth is so important i think there's there's so many people that look at uh whether it's a goalie or really any position and are like okay well you know we have our top end defenseman or like we have our 1c and like you know let's go look at other positions now and it's like no you need you know especially in today's era of hockey where like no goalies are playing you know, 65 plus games and yeah. as is, you know, you need goalie depth really badly. And we see one injury away from really just absolute mayhem in net this past season or underperformance, et cetera. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. I, I, I fully support it. I really liked it. Yeah, I was fully, I was surprised for sure, but I was down for it because like I said, it was a, certainly a position of need. And what's funny too is, you know, he is kind of the inverse of the reason why they drafted Sebastian Costa. And maybe he wasn't the number one goalie on their board because like I said, there was a run of goalies ahead of them and there was like a six foot eight goal and take, goalie taken, just ginormous. I forget yeah. his name, but uh, Augustine is, he's six foot one, not small, but like pretty average for a goalie. Um, but like he's known for his, his 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 technicality. Like he's known as a really technically sound goalie, and that's what makes him excel with the US NTDP. Whereas Sebastian Kosa was like, yeah, he's still a little rough around the edges technically, but you can't teach size and athleticism. So it's kind of the inverse. So it's gonna be something to keep track of for sure, because it it's just nice to like I feel like Red Wings fans, myself included, have kind of been putting all our eggs in one basket in regards to goaltending. Uh, with Sebastian Kosa, and there's no guarantee because goalies are so weird, weird, and prospects in general are weird, right? There's no guarantee any particular prospect's going to pan out in the long run. So having more to have to watch out for is always a good idea. Yeah, well, like, and, and that, like, kind of my my point was like, I don't even care if Kosa's the greatest goalie of all time. You need another one. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, you you're, you you need another one for you, you can't be one injury away from your whole season spiraling if Kosa even ends up being incredible. You you can't throw away 20 other games, you know, the, the 20 or 30 games that Costa doesn't play, even if he's incredible, like doesn't even matter how high of a ceiling Costa reaches. I, I very much am a big, uh, a big advocate for organizational depth. So that's, I, yeah, I, I really like it. And then with their second of three at the time, consecutive picks in the second round, the Red Wings at pick 42 took a uh, right-handed defenseman, Andrew Gibson at, from the Sioux Greyhounds, Six foot three, 203 pounds, right hand shot, fills that need precisely with what uh, the Red Wings need. Uh, the 
Elite Prospects draft guide says that he's really good at waiting. He's a very patient puck mover. He's good at moving the puck, but he's very patient and make sure like he's just uh to just put it bluntly it says he delays manipulates opponents with deception even on pass receptions uses the inside and looks for activation opportunities after passing subtle plays like a quick ramp a quick pump fake on reception and angling his body away from his target drive his value so he's just a very patient player with the puck on the back end and again another big guy plays right side fills a huge need i i'm 100% a okay with that pick yeah, and and you know we we talked about it yesterday, obviously with um with Plika, right, with uh, the right-handed defenseman and what that the They're organization needs, right, as far as that goes. But like again, in the same conversation I just said about goalies, like you can't just take one and then be like, oh yeah, you know, need filled. Like this mm-hmm. is an an organization wide thing that at really any level there are a a massive lack of right-handed D men, so. Uh, yeah, put you know that that's a adding that to the list. Obviously, he's a he's a big body. We all know that Steve Eiserman is is a big fan of his uh, of of the tall, large defenseman. So pretty on brand there. But yeah, definitely uh, another pick that fills a need. And so you're gonna notice a trend here. The Red Wings took a lot of defensemen in the rest of the draft. I think they took three non-defensemen out of their last nine pit nine yep. picks. So six defensemen. Um, they traded back with Nashville, getting pick number forty-seven and one of their third uh, third round pick. Uh, in return, and at pick 47, the Red Wings took Brady Cleveland out of the U.S. and TDP program, uh, commit to University of Wisconsin. Now, this one is interesting because this one, by all accounts, is considered a reach by a lot of different people. I yeah, mean, that- a lot of people were saying reach, and, and a lot of people were citing skating as well. I know Prashant yeah. had a whole thing about uh, the skating being a little weak. A lot of people, I mean, the highest I see him ranked, on elite prospects right now, not, not that elite prospects, I mean, they're just aggregating all the different rankings, but the hockey news had him ranked 75th and the Red Wings took him 47. But the reason the Red Wings took him and with that many second round picks, I don't mind taking a flyer and a guy you fall in love with. Um, but he's a six foot five, 209 defenseman plays the left side. And his big thing is his physicality and his ability to, um, prevent zone entries he's very good at pushing guys to the perimeter and winning the puck battles along the boards so i don't mind getting a guy like that with your third of three second round picks if you really love the guy might have been a little bit of a reach but they have had so many darts to throw at the board i don't mind that pick whatsoever in fact i kind of like that pick because we talk a lot about one of the many things this team lacks and it's it's guys who use their size and this is sounds like it's a guy who's not afraid to use his size yeah, which is I mean, fantastic. Sign me up for that, baby. You know, that's a that's a, a a home run in my books. This is yeah, like you said, we talk about it all the time. This uh, team at the NHL level and just organization as a whole is kind of lacking that physical element. So I, I know that, like I said, Prashant kind of cited that the skating might need some work. Uh, so, I mean, you know, there's a reason he, he's taken this far down in the draft, but. Uh, I'll I'll take a big bruiser if he can even end up being right Hunter. like legitimately like at this point in the draft if he can end up being a third pairing right like kind of player and and is just able to use his his physicality and his size and be kind of a a guy that can go out there and give you you know ten to fifteen minutes a night and, you, and you're fine with it I, you know sign me up for that this team needs some of that even if it is a, a bottom pairing ceiling. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do rounds three through seven in kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a, a flash 
version. What, what's the word for that? Where it just goes by really fast. It's escaping my mind right now because I am not very fast mentally. A flash version? Like uh, what happens when you do something like and you do it really quick? A blur? A blur, I guess. We're going to blaze through it. How about that? That works. Um, I have no clue what you're going for here, brother. I don't know. There's like a, <laughs> a term. Um, but yeah, so I'm just going to end it there. And we're going to talk about AG1. <laughs> Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. You got to drink it daily because AG1's foundational nutrition supplement delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health. It replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category, and it helps you build your health foundation first. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take care of their health every single day. If the comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to AG, go to drinkag1.com slash NHL network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL network to check it out. Segment two, Locked On Red Wings podcast. Scotty and I are breaking down the remainder of the draft. Uh, we le- left off the second round, and now we're going to do we're going to blaze through rounds three through seven. That's just what we're working with here. Uh, the first pick the Red Wings took in the third round, Scotty Bentley, was Noah Dower Nilsson. That name might sound familiar because his brother is a Red Wings prospect, Liam Dower Nilsson, who drove Axel Sandin Pelica to the draft. So there's like a lot of little interesting anecdotes regarding these players getting drafted out of Sweden to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Liam Dower Nilsson brother got drafted and Liam Dower Nilsson drove Axel Sunding Pelka. Like it's just also their names are so long. What is going on <laughs> with these names? Uh, but this guy, according to public scouts, this is exactly around where he was going to be taken. He's a center six foot, 185 pounds shoots left. I uh, played last year with Ferlunda's J20 team for the most part at 54 points in 37 games, played 26 goals, 28 assists, ended up playing three games with the SHL club. So he's made that transition to professional, at least for three games. We'll see if he makes that full time this season coming up. Yeah. So I'm going to be honest with you. This is like uh, probably not a something you expected me to say going into this. This might be my favorite pick of the entire draft. Really? I know. So the weird thing is I, I actually, um, there is a, so I, I mentioned a lot, but like the, there's a, a section of um, like ducks people that I am rather close with now. And a lot of them, like they talked to scouts and, and, they had like their own, you know, like mocks and opinions on stuff. And all of them had this guy circled as like someone that they wanted later in the draft. And so it was just really funny to me that like he ended up a Red Wing and I got to like shove it in all their faces. But <laughs> like this, is, I mean, it's a it's a kind of a, a fun pick this late in the draft. Like you said, I mean, this team, he's a center and this team needs center depth. So anything you can take there, we'll see how he transitions into uh, you know, facing o- older competition and whatnot. We'll see uh, that transition, I think, will be really telling as far as his development goes. But 
and then yeah you have the cool storylines and everything his brother's already in the organization and whatnot but um but yeah just like a, a really funny thing where like you know he was kind of on my radar as like an under the radar person for like i don't know like going into the draft and then i never thought that he was gonna end up a wing and like here we are so yeah just kind of a funny thing but yeah i like it uh, uh fills a need good size center why not yeah, and from there, now we're kind of getting into the depths of things for for real, and I'm, it's starting to become like, okay, well, this guy plays defense. Next up is uh, Larry Keenan, taking 117th overall in the fourth round by the Detroit Red Wings. Um, defense, six foot three, 185 pounds, left-handed shot. He played this last year with Culver Military Academy Prep, had 37 points in 49 games played. He is committed to the University of Massachusetts for the 2024-25 season. This next year, according to Elite, Elite Prospects at least, he is meant to play with Penticiton V's. Not really sure of the BCHL. Sure. So I'm assuming that means British Columbia Hockey League. Um, yeah, there's not much for me to go over over the fact then, other than the fact that the Red Wings continue to hammer home defense. And I don't I don't mind that because it's a it's a high value position. It's a premium position. So having more of those guys in your system give you more chips on the table come trade talks or, you know, even better if they actually actually make the NHL. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I, and, you know, the the t- talking about, you know, like just obviously this, this team took a lot of defensemen and whatnot. And like I, I – when you look at what they need on the forward group, it's such a like – specific thing like they're looking for centers or goal scores pretty much exclusively at this point when you get to this point in the draft I think it's I don't want to say easier but it's a lot at least more projectable to look at defensemen and be like hey we know what we can work with with this body type this play style etc we know that we can turn this dude into a solid NHL defenseman it's a lot easier to predict Right. Whereas correct that it's a lot more projectable. Whereas like forwards, you're taking a dude who, you know, at this point in the draft, especially like the last three rounds, you're taking dudes who put up like 20 goal seasons in like a minor league, right. Or, or like a, a U 17 league. And you're, and you're going to try to project like how you can alter their game and, and turn them into a, a good goal score or like maintain the fact that they can be an NHL center or whatnot. Like it's just, it's way more easier to project talent when it comes to like defensemen that late in the draft than it is for, it's not that it's easy to project any talent, but it, you know, if you're splitting hairs and talking about which is easier, I think you have a hard, uh, an easier time with the defensemen. And then there's also like, we talked about the righty lefty thing. I mean, it's not just all defensemen are not the same. It's, yeah. it's a lot more, uh, it's it's a lot more niche than that, and it's a lot more specific. You can you can divvy that up a, a lot more than just like oh, all defensemen are defensemen. That that's that's not <laughs> you know what I mean. Like that's yeah. not quite the case. Like it's it's a lot more complicated than that. So yeah, I, I I don't really subscribe to like the oh, like they just took a lot of defensemen. That's wild. Like that's I don't I don't really see it that way. Let's so we got a few more guys to get to here. Four more players to be precise. We're just gonna power through them. Believe it or not, power through is the phrase I was trying to think of at the end of segment one. I could not think of the phrase power through. Yeah. I have no clue what you were going for. I don't know either, but I'm glad I found it. Yeah. I'm glad dude. You can sleep a little bit better tonight. My brain cells like finally connected. Um, in the fifth round with pick 137, the Rummies took Jack Phelan, um, from the Sioux fall stampede of the USHL right shot defenseman, six foot two, 185 pounds. 
He had five points in 59 games played in the USHL this past year. Without any knowledge on who this guy is, that would just pinpoint probably with that lack of production, probably a defensive defenseman, which is perfectly okay. Another right shot, D-man. You've already added so much depth to that week's part of your your game here in the draft. So I like that a lot. Uh, Then in round number, uh, another fifth-round pick, pick 147, the Red Wings took Kevin Bicker from the DEL. He was he played last season with the Jungalder Mannheim U20, which is the U20 version of Adler Mannheim, where more outsider played. He had 21 points in 20 games played. He was a forward, six foot one, 176 pounds, shoots left. Just more offensive depth. Hoping yep. he can hit on a guy out of Germany. And then they took in the sixth round, they took another goaltender, 169th overall, Rudy Guimond. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced, or Guimond, Guimond, G-U-I-M-O-N-D. Uh, out of the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders of the USHL. And uh, this last year with them, or I'm sorry, that's the team he's going to be playing with this year. And the next year he's going to be playing, or the year after that he's going to be with Yale University. Pretty sick, playing out of Yale. But with wow. his high school prep team, Taft School, he had a 940 save percentage in 28 games played. And then finally, they took Emmett Finney in the seventh round. With great name. 201, great name. I did like... Uh, that first goalie they took a lot. What was his name? Um, Trey Augustine. Pretty sick name. Got got to hit. Got to take one really cool name a year. Although Axel Sandin Pelica is pretty sick too. Um, but anyways, Emmett Finney of the Cam Loops Blazers had 35 points in 64 games played. Another forward, six foot, 170 pounds, shoots left. Not a real, not a lot of an- analysis on those late guys overall. Scotty, how do you feel? Or let me. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll ask Scotty how he feels overall in the draft. And we'll talk about the trade the Red Wings made uh, for Kyler Yamano- uh, Yamamoto and uh, Costin. So stay tuned to Lockdown Red Wings. Segment three, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Scotty, overall, how'd you feel about the draft and the approach the Red Wings took in it? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I mean, the, the approach really is the biggest thing, right? Like, you know, not uh, not all of your picks, especially as you get deeper into the draft, are going to turn out. But you addressed everything that, you need to address about as well as you could have uh, with it, without making a trade, right? Like that, that's, that's uh, should have been the goal going into it. And that's what they did it, again, if they weren't going to make a trade. So um, yeah, got a lot of, we already talked about the defenseman side of things. Got a lot of D men, got a lot of right-handed D men uh, address center, try to get some uh, potential goal scoring earlier on in the draft. I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, I'm I'm with there. I'm there with you. I wish they would have taken a couple more wingers earlier. Like they dedicated the second round to defensemen and a goalie, which is fine, especially because they took yeah. a right side D man and a goalie, which is a big need. But I wish they would have gotten somebody with maybe a, a little bit of a scoring upside. But they did do that a lot in the last few years. Amadeus Lombardi, Carter, Carter Mazur, guys like that. Um, but I mean, this they very much stuck with Eisenman's philosophy of defense first. This is like quite literally the NHL version of building the trenches. You know, we talk yeah. about that and how right. that's a successful <laughs> formula in the NFL. He's trying to replicate a lot of what led to the success with the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is build a team that is defensively responsible. Now, you know, they did have a couple things already in place for them, which helped out a lot, uh, given, you know, the fact that Stamkos was already there. They nailed on Kucherov in, I think, the second round. So, like, things worked out for them maybe a little bit differently than it has for the Red Wings so far, but the, the, the idea is the same build the back end as best as you can stop them from scoring and then acquire as much goal scoring as possible. I do wish they took one or more, one or two more goal scorers in the draft, but I can't blame them for taking 
high value um, premium positions in the draft. That, I can't blame that. Yeah, best player available in a lot of positions of need. So, mm-hmm. uh, Scotty, the Red Wings also made, and this is where it killed me. I was so I was watching the the second round uh, with Kenny over the ticket during work when I should have been working, but I wasn't because uh, I wanted to watch the draft. Uh, <laughs> don't tell my boss; he already knew. He was fine with it. <laughs> but That's good, so those three consecutive second round picks, I was sitting there, and. I was like, okay, I'm watching Stevie. Like, is he on the phone? The second second round pick and the third second round pick, he was on the phone a lot. And that third second round pick happened, and they get up to the podium, and we have a trade to announce. I'm like, this is it. The Brinkett's coming to Detroit. <laughs> and it's like, the Red Wings are trading their picks to the Nashville Predators. And I'm like, Predators? For picks 47 and insert third round pick here. And I'm like, well, that's not what I wanted. I got all excited for nothing. And then like, Five minutes later, Elliot Friedman tweets and he goes, Red Wings are working on another trade. And I was like, this is it. It's happening. <laughs> and it's a trade to get Kyler Yamamoto. So at first, and uh, Clem Costin, at first the trade did bum me out. And I there is something about it I still don't like. But after objectively having separated myself from my expectations of the big splash, I mean, this trade is like an obvious win for the Detroit Red Wings, right? Yeah. <laughs> you gave up nothing. Yeah. You gave up nothing for Kyle Yamamoto, who's a guy who he's he's kind of like a Robbie Fabry type. He's a guy who has potential but needs a change of scenery to really get a chance to blossom. He's been struggling with injury of recent seasons and just struggling to get any kind of real production started. His career high is 41 points in 81 games played. He had 25 last year and 58, kind of like always in and out of the lineup with injury. But like he brings a playmaking ability to the middle six as a winger and can play both sides of the ice. He's a two-way winger. I think he's a good fit for the Detroit Red Wings. I believe he only has, yeah, it's the final year of his $3.1 million, so it's not like it's going to kill you cap-wise. Probably a little bit of an overpay for him, but that's more production and like the same cap that Phil Zadina is providing to the Detroit Red Wings. So that's fine, whatever, I don't care. The point is, and even with the, you know, Clem Costin as well, not to just completely overlook him, a great, he's going to be a great bottom six uh physical player takes and draws a lot of penalties. He's going to bring you that edge that this team desperately needs. The biggest thing about this, and he's an arbitration eligible RFA, but Red Wings are probably going to sign him to something really cheap because it sounds like he was going to go to the KHL. Otherwise the thing about this that works. And I really like is one, they were free, right? Future considerations, but you help fill your roster out without having to utilize free agency in a freak week, free agent class. So, like, you need to put guys on the roster, and you're going to be doing so at cheap that might honestly be comparable to some of the guys you could have signed via free agency. And, like, Yamamoto still has a little bit of an upside. He's only 24. Both of these guys are super young yet. They're they're both only 24. They're both former first-round picks. So, like, there's there's no real risk to taking these guys, and that's why it's a win. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, you really just laid it out really well. Like, you you, you just got two 24-year-olds, or I guess next year will be 24 and 25-year-olds, that while, I, I mean, no one's going to project them to end up being, like, top line or probably even, uh, like, bona fide top six players, still have, like, upside to be productive NHL players. And, uh, again, like, if you think that they fit your system – uh, then like go for it. You know what I mean? And when just 
looking at the two of them, I mean, mostly wing, I guess. Uh, Costin has played a little bit of center before, but like for the most part, you're getting just two forwards that won't help too terribly much up the middle. But, uh, Costin also, <laughs> if you look at the physicality numbers, the PIMS not the lowest thing in the world, right? A little bit up there, but I mean, the hit number would have, uh, I think probably led the wings last year as well. So, like, you know, get a little physicality down there in the bottom six. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see any reason to not do this. Is it like the flashy, incredible, oh, we're bringing in superstar talent? I mean, obviously not, but this pretty much helps your team immediately. You give up nothing for it and they're not like super expensive. I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a way to add without having to overpay someone in free agency. Yeah. And it's not like a huge one. I'm not trying to say like it was a fleece, but it does make me wonder, like, why would Edmonton do this? Why would Ken Holland do this? Because, yeah, that frees up $3 million and gives takes them from $5 million projected cap space to $8 million projected cap space. But, like, Klim Kostin was an arbitration-eligible RFA. Like, trading him away does nothing. You could have just let him walk. Yeah. I almost feel like that's the guy that Eisman actually wanted and that they said, okay, we'll give this to you if you take Yamamoto to free up cap space. But, like... To get nothing in return, I mean, Holland literally just gave up two players simply for three more million dollars. It's not like a massive cap dump. I mean, I, it, it makes sense on on like a base minimum level, but I mean, it, I'm overthinking it. It doesn't really matter in the end, um, but like these are just two more guys. One's going to fit in your middle six. One's going to fit in your bottom six. They're both going to provide an important role. The part that bothers me, though, is the fact that this is essentially a cap dump trade. And it kind of plays into what Iserman said yesterday about this team still being in the asset acquiring phase. You know what I mean? Where it, it feels like this was a move that would have been done two, three years ago when this team was in the depths of the rebuild. And the Red Wings are still $5 million under the cap floor. It's not like I'm worried about the $3 million they're going to spend and like possibly $1 million. on. So a total of $4 million they're going to spend for one year on both of these players. Although they'll both, I believe, still be RFAs once their contracts expire. It's more just about like, it just reaffirms what Eiserman said yesterday was real. And, you know, while it's accurate and probably the best thing to do, and I won't disagree with that, it is kind of a bummer. Because what a lot of people, like they said it on NHL Network, like think they said, think of this like the Robbie Fabry trade. And I'm like, but the Robbie Fabry trade was great because you're taking a flyer on a guy when the Red Wings had nothing to lose. And it's like, we were, I was at least, of the mindset that this was a team in transition trying to take a step forward. And acquiring Yamamoto and Yamamoto and Costin doesn't feel like a type of move that is trying to take a step forward. It feels like a type of move that's just trying to put guys on a roster to make it through another season. See, I disagree with that. I, I think that this is a... Not necessarily that you're wrong about the the beginning of your sentiment, where like this is a, a, a an acquiring asset trade. I mean, it clearly is. They gave up nothing and got assets. But um, I I think that there are so many holes on this team right now. Like if if the season started today, the the you wouldn't be able to field a roster. Like you, and yeah. and you still have so much cap space and whatnot. You can do this. You can make this trade and bring in these two players and still bring in five, six free agents if you really wanted to. Like, if, if this is it, 
If this is like the biggest move they're going to make this offseason, then you're absolutely right. But I think it's too early to like plant that flag, I guess, is more of my point. Yeah, and I guess – I'm sorry. I, no, I guess no, that was pretty much it. Like th- that, th- there's just a lot – like free agency hasn't even started yet. Like we, we still have a, a long way to go. We still haven't even gotten to the cap floor, as you said. Like there, there's still a, a, a lot of things. And, and in the bottom six and, and the bottom four defensively, bottom two really, I guess, mostly, like there are, are still mostly the forward core, I guess. There's still so many holes they have to fill. They lost a, a lot of players on one-year deals and whatnot and the contract's expiring. There is a lot to fill still. And so, like, I, I don't view them, like, whether it's a flyer or not, I don't view them bringing these guys in as, like, Oh, like this is our, these are as big as moves are going to get this off season. Like, I, I, I again, I just think it's too early to really proclaim anything. And, like and that. neither do I think it's going to be the biggest thing. And I guess if you look at it through the lens of these are the replacements for guys like Matt Luff, Alex Chason, right. and Adam Ernie, then it's a clear upgrade, right? Like it's a clear upgrade over those guys. I was just like, I guess I was just because I was so obsessed with the mindset of this team trying to take a leap this off season. And clearly I was not in lockstep with what Iserman thought. I guess it's leaving me a little bit disappointed, but that's my own fault. That's well, not, I, that's not me trying to say Iserman is wrong, but that's just me realizing that like, I guess they weren't as ready as I thought they were, which is, I mean, disappointing, but I mean, ultimately if you want to build sustained success, you know, you can't just go yeah, out there and get the gun. Yeah, you can't sure. jump the gun. I just, I'm just ready for them to. No, I and I get it. I, I, I yeah, and and again, like I, I just, I'm not at the point where I'm like proclaiming like either extreme yet. Like again, like free agency literally hasn't even started at the time of this recording. Like yeah, we, I, you know, we we still have a long off season to go, and, and a lot of moves that are still going to happen. Like if this trade happened after free agency i don't think you would have the same mindset i guess is my point like i think it's just like the chronological aspect of it all like this is the biggest move so far so it's like oh like that's kind of disappointing we were talking about the brinket 48 hours ago and now this is the move we get yeah and i think that's true i think they add you know like three players four players that are like legitimate middle six players and like are are good ads that we really like and then this trade was added on at the end of the offseason I think it would be just like a different light. I think we just got to, and again, I'm not saying you're wrong. You, we might, you might be right about all that. It, it might be a little bit of an underwhelming off season, but I just, I, I think on, on June 29th, it's, it's just too early to say that for sure. No, I mean, like I said, I think you're right. Um, I, 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 again, in a vacuum, I think this trade's an easy win because you acquired two NHL players for literally three. I just, it was, I think you're right in that I was, it disappointing because it wasn't what I was hoping for, but that is my fault. That is on me. That has nothing to do with the trade itself. That's just, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But all right, Scotty, um, any final thoughts? We ball, we ball. We back with a new episode on Monday, breaking down the first two days of free agency. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. Every day. Every day.